Welcome to the Blockbusters and Birdwalks podcast. I am the curator, Garrett Chaffin Kirai. The Hood film rose to prominence in 1991 with the release of John Singleton's Boys in the Hood. Before that time, there had been a sometimes vibrant, more often moribund tradition of black American filmmaking inside the mainstream industry. In 1991, though, something in the cultural backdrop clicked into place, offering more space for stories about people with brown faces on the big screen. Audiences lapped up the material, establishing a new pattern for the production, distribution, and exhibition of similar fare, which has encouraged much work through the present. The typical story frame for many hood films is the pathology of American blackness, usually viewed in white-dominated mainstream culture as a stereotypic threat or disease, to the established norms of an orderly and accomplished society. It's an ironic basis for this movie subgenre, too, because many of the filmmakers involved in hood films were attempting to humanize and complicate racist depictions of black folks in movies dating back decades. But the resulting tropes of these hood films serve to affirm many of the negative ideas about black experience in the mainstream, read white, culture. The pillars of the form include crime-laden backdrops, single mother-led households, dysfunctional neighborhoods, police brutality, drug and gang-related violence, early adolescent sexual experimentation, male posturing and misogyny, rap music, black fashion and slang, narrative focus on black, usually male, coming of age, the absence of white faces, and disinterest in the future because present circumstances form a closed loop of misery and cruelty. In short, the Hood film is a take, on the conditions of urban life where everyday experience more resembles warfare between and among racial tribes than any traditional idea of a thriving city center. That the pattern proved valuable is clear from box office reports. That the pattern was influential is evident by the way hood films are inexpensive to make, easily marketed through tie-ins with the worlds of music and fashion, and appeal to a core audience of non-white moviegoers hungry to see themselves on a screen. Barry Jenkins' Moonlight, 2016, trades on all these hood film motifs and achieves something remarkably different. Moonlight is the multi-chaptered story of a young man named Chiron. Chapter 1, Little, is about him as a boy played by Alex Hibbert. Chapter 2, Sharon, is about a teenager, Ashton Sanders, navigating high school. Chapter 3, Black, is about an adult, Travante Rhodes, now a drug dealer, trying to reconcile the open wounds of his childhood and produce a fully realized version of himself. So far, so good. This is a familiar terrain for a hood film. Yes, the film takes some license in placing the story in Liberty City, Florida, rather than in one of America's great big cities like Los Angeles, Chicago, or New York. But we still spend our time in an impoverished inner city where men are criminals, children are involved with welfare programs, and all social activities affirm violence and inexpressiveness in boys becoming men, by which means the girls become passive sex objects for their male peers. The real meat and potatoes of the movie lies in its descent through this pattern and its slow, slow, slow adjustment of expectation. How is this done? First, Chiron lives with his mother, Paula, Naomi Harris. She offers love to her latchkey child, some sense of discipline about doing his schoolwork and staying straight, 
all of which is a bluff because she's in the early stages of drug addiction. Second, Paula's dealer is a Cuban immigrant named Juan, Mahershala Ali, who first meets Sharon as he runs from school bullies. Juan helps him home after first giving him a place to stay for the night since the boy won't give his address, and upon Sharon's homecoming, Juan realizes he's the child of one of his soon-to-be best customers. What happened, Sharon? Why you didn't come home like you're supposed to? Huh? And who is you? Nobody. I found him yesterday. Found him in a hole on 15. Yeah, that one. Some boys chased him in a cut. Scared more than anything. He wouldn't tell me where he lived till this morning. Well, thanks for seeing to him. He usually can take care of himself. Be good that way. This triangle relationship between drug dealer, father figure, drug customer, mother, and child is complicated by the fact that it seems to be repeating Juan's own childhood. The impact of this fact is the last view of Juan we see, a man broken by the pain he's caused in a business that enriches him at the high cost to others. Third, Juan lives with Teresa, Janelle Monet, an affectionate, helpful mother figure who remains a stable force in Sharon's lifelong after Juan's death and Paula's entry into rehab. She seems stably employed with a trove of common advice about how to behave with courtesy and self-respect. She's flexible and accommodating of Paula's erratic behavior, and she behaves lovingly and encouragingly towards Sharon. What's wrong? Nothing. You're good. No. I ain't seen good, and you ain't it. And stop putting your head down in my house. You know my rule. It's all love and all pride in this house. You feel me? I can't hear you. Do you feel me? Yeah. Okay. I feel you. Fourth, Sharon is a runty boy who grows into being an awkward teen who finally emerges in the form of a heavyweight prize fighter. As a boy, he's teased for being weak. As a teen, he's mocked and bullied as feminine and gay. As a man, though, now strapped into a do-rag-topped and muscled body, having emerged from a juvenile delinquency facility to become a drug dealer with his own distribution network, he's a pistol-packing badass the very figure that has long haunted white America in the form of a big black buck caricature. Fifth, the heart of Moonlight is in the way Chiron learns to withhold his sexuality and channel all that psychic pain and shame into the form of a frightening criminal, which separates him from others, but also keeps his secret identity from being ridiculed. Saying I'm a liar. All right. I say that. I told you the count was off and you said it wasn't. That's you calling me a liar. No, all I did was tell you that. You, you, you did what? The vehicle for this transition into a life deeply anchored in the closet is Sharon's longtime friend Kevin, played as a child by Jaden Piner, as a teen by Jarrell Jerome, and as an adult by Andre Holland. Kevin represents companionate kindness, erotic love, and hope across the three stages of Sharon's life. In all three chapters, Kevin is more lucid, communicative, and friendly, and in all three chapters he takes the lead on defining and redefining the forms of intimacy the pair will enjoy. 
Part of the fascinating spectacle of moonlight is seeing this relationship develop through the years. As boys, Kevin teaches Sharon to bluff his way through the peer pressure of bigger, faster, stronger kids, first by showing him how to roughhouse, and later on by allowing him into a room where a group of boys share a look at their genitals. Man, you're the same as mine. At least mine don't look like Freddy Krueger. Yours ugly as hell. Mine's blending on peanut. As a teenager, Kevin models the right way for a strapping youth to express his sexuality through a tale of conquest with a girl. What you doing here? Detention, man. Names call me with this trick in the stairway. Damn. Yeah. Who? Damn, you nosy, nigga. <laughs> nah, I'm playing, yo. Look, I just wanted some quick hair, you know? But this chick all like, like, hit that shit, Kevin. Hit it with that big dick. Like, why she gotta compliment a nigga for? So I'm like, Shit, we can do this, you know? So I started banging the back out, dog. I'm talking about banging the back out. She want to make all this fucking noise, though. So Ames coming at them like 5 0 and she almost had my ass suspended, dog. I talked it out, though, you know? I told him he was like childhood sweethearts and all of that, so I just got detention. It's cool. Good. Let's stay between us, all right? Yeah. I know you can keep a secret, dog. After Kevin and Chiron enjoy a night hookup at the beach, Kevin saves face in the schoolyard when he helps beat up Chiron. Years later, and clearly haunted by this violent act, the now-adult Kevin reaches out to Chiron, calling him late in the night. Hey, man, I'm sorry about all that. All that shit what went down. Chiron, real shit, dog, I am. Oh, well, wow. what you doing up there, man? Not much, just, just trouble. Chiron <laughs> in trouble always found a way. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> what about you? Me? I'm a cook, man. Yeah, buddy. Man, I got sent up for some stupid shit. The same stupid shit we always get sent up for. They put me on the kitchen line, man, and kind of took to it. Anyway, man, I just just thought about you, man. I We got this jukebox in here, and um, folks come by and play their songs. That's the music we get in here, and it's... This dude, man. Reminded me of you. Chiron takes up Kevin's offer, and the two men meet, and the movie concludes with contrasting images. Adult Kevin holds adult Chiron. The pair finally together behind a closed door, and we cut to the boyhood Chiron with his back to us looking out at the ocean at night. Then the boy turns back to us and stares. Moonlight is an unusual movie. The pace of scenes is slow. The soundtrack runs back and forth between a dissonant orchestral score and in-scene pop music. Each performer is richly costumed in ordinariness. The vernacular seems true. 
There is no overt affectation or signal that tries to mimic exactly what we've seen from other movie stories or trends in America, and it's a regionally specific story that takes its shape from the American Southeast. Partisans of the movie praise the idea of visibility, that Moonlight is significant for studying the emergence of black male homosexuality in a circumstance frequently defined by the homophobia of hip-hop culture narrowly and American life more generally. This interpretation is valid, and it's one I've shared with students. Not for nothing did Moonlight become a profitable movie and the winner of the Academy Award for Best Picture. Sharon really is a beautiful, strong thug of a man, but he's also gay and lonely, and it's this expression of sadness of impossibly fitting into the norms of a societal pattern, as in the norms of the Hood film, that makes the movie memorable because the final feeling on offer is hope. Thank you for listening to the Blockbusters and Birdwalks podcast. My name is Garrett Chaffin Kirai. Boop boobity doo.